0: Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner Podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Cobalt, a cybersecurity firm specializing in supporting small and medium-sized businesses. Our conversation covers risk assessments, email threats, ransomware, and important advice for business owners on how to protect themselves online. Our conversation starts now.
1: I'm Michael Argas, I'm the CEO of Cobalt.io. We're a cybersecurity services company focused on small and mid-sized businesses. We have about 25 staff in Canada, another 10 in India, And We've been in operations for just over three years uh, and have supported over 200 companies in their security programs.
0: Holy smokes, man. Well, I'm really excited to have you on, learn a little bit about uh, the security topic. It's very important to talk about right now with some of the changes that are happening in the world. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of give me a brief overview of kind of the the problems that Cobalt solves for its customers, just to a person who's maybe a little bit green uh, like myself in that area.
1: Yeah, so uh, everybody, of course, is generally familiar with the risks and challenges in cybersecurity overall. Whether that be ransomware, business email fraud, or any of a million different bad things that can happen, data breaches. Uh, We focus on the small, mid-sized portion of the market. So typically, organizations under a thousand employees. We have a lot of customers that are kind of fifty or hundred employees, and for those businesses, uh, it's an issue of resources, uh, skill set, budget, and so they often are large enough that they have a similar risk profile as a larger company. They have, you know, critical applications, critical infrastructure, critical data that they need to protect, but they don't have the internal competencies, expertise, budget to to build out a truly functional security practice. And so we come in, we provide a security program as a service for those so that they can gain access to, you know, enterprise quality security services um, at a fraction of the cost of doing it internally and help them accelerate uh, their, you know, their success. And more specifically, for a lot of our customers, security is a barrier to growth. So they're selling to government, they're selling to enterprise, and those organizations are requiring that their service providers be secure because they're hosting their data. And so we need to help them establish that security so that they can unlock that revenue and grow their business.
0: Going through your site, there's a couple of of things there the assessments, compliance, and privacy, et cetera. Can you kind of flush out what that looks like? Is that almost like a, First, we start with an assessment. Then we get into compliance and privacy. Then a program gets built, and then we monitor. Is that kind of how it works, or how does that? Yeah, all I, I can talk
1: a little bit about that. Um, so, for a lot of organizations, when they're first getting started with us, they want to start with an assessment. Generally, what this looks like is could be somebody new comes into an organization. It's like, hey, IT or a third-party managed service provider has been doing stuff for us for a while. And we're not really sure how secure we are, right? And so we want to we want to baseline kind of what we're doing today, and that's where like our security program gap assessments come into play. Uh, sometimes you have organizations that are, hey, we're, we're dealing with a lot of customer data. We know that GDPR and Bill 64, which is the recent Quebec legislation are a thing, but we're not really sure if we're we're up to snuff. If we're, you know, we've got our, our practices to a level of compliance, that's important. So we do a bunch of those kind of upfront assessments for a lot of customers. Um, kind of the really common one is penetration tests, right? So this is like, is my app secure? Is my infrastructure secure? And then uh, we have designed programs for different sizes and stages of organizations. So if you're a really early stage company, typically under 10 employees, you know, uh, you may have done some, uh, you know, bootstrap funding or kind of pre-seed funding, Series A maybe, Um, You're you're smaller, you don't have a lot of revenue, but you want to kind of get the right security principle stuff in place. So you need policies, you need a risk register, you need awareness training for your staff, those kind of things. So we've designed a program for them that lets them get started at a low cost and get some advice and support as they grow and get through some of those kind of initial hurdles. Um, And then, you know, as an organization grows, they get to another size, another scale. And it's like, then compliance starts to become important. It's like, we want to become SOC 2 compliant. We want to become ISO compliant to help overcome some of these barriers that we're seeing from our customer base to smooth our sales process and pipeline. And there's a whole bunch of things you need to do as part of those compliance programs. So that includes things like the 7x24 monitoring that you mentioned earlier. It might include, um, you know, a more robust set of policies. It includes tabletop exercises and other governance activities that, again, an internal organization typically doesn't have the resources to accomplish on their own. So we do all that for them. We help them accelerate. And then you get into larger organizations, what we call scale. And uh, this is, you know, could be early stage unicorns, it could be larger firms. And then, you know, it's a broader set of compliance standards. It's privacy starts to come into play, advanced threat monitoring, you know, some of those most sophisticated capabilities. And so we've really kind of designed our programs and our offerings to start you, you know, quite small uh, and then based on the stage of growth that you're at, based on your needs.
0: Wow, that is really cool. I was curious, I think, outside looking and I wasn't sure if you only kind of dealt with these massive, massive companies because I've got like Trulio, for instance, I'm interviewing them later this afternoon. I think they're one of your clients. And I thought, well, they're this, you know, I don't know if you call them early stage unicorn.
1: They're they're a late stage.
0: (laughs) But, you know, all the way down to those sub 10. Yeah, we've got customers
1: with like two, three, five employees. Right. And they're just getting started. But uh, even in the early days, security is an important thing for organizations to consider. From a a segment and and
0: regional perspective,
1: do you guys see...
0: I don't know if it's enough to if this is too broad of a question, but is there segments within the software community where you're seeing a lot of growth more than others or maybe even regions around uh, the globe?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So we started off, we're originally based out of Vancouver, we're a fully distributed team at this point. So a lot of our early customers were in Vancouver. We decided to take an initial focus from a, just speed of uh, acquisition perspective on tech startups and more specifically B2B SaaS companies. So that was kind of our first year or so. And, you know, there are two particular subsegments of that group that have really taken off for us, health tech. Uh, and so this is, you know, everything from online record management to, uh, you know, nurses and doctors checking in to whether or not they can attend a shift to a lot of small pharma companies that are doing COVID-19 vaccine research and and, you know, molecules and stuff like that. So that's been a really big segment for us. Uh, we had a couple of customers in that space pre-COVID during the pandemic, it just took off. And so that's been a really successful segment for us. And the other one is kind of broadly FinTech, right? And so this includes, you know, insurance and uh, financial services and all these sorts of different companies that, you know, have something to do with money, uh, typically in the technology space. Uh, so those have been really interesting segments. They've grown a lot. Now our half our revenue is up out of the United States where our customer base is spread across Canada. Um, we are very focused on North America for the time being, um, rather than trying to go internationally. And that's because there is an advisory component, not just a technology component to our services. And it's easier for us to support customers that are local from a time zone perspective. And then we have some kind of other adjacencies that we just kind of picked up organically. We do a lot of work in the not-for-profit sector. You know, There are other kind of technology sectors like mining technology and film technology that have started to pop up. And so uh, generally speaking, you know, if you're a small tech firm, we're a really good fit for you. If you're an organization that, again, is small has a kind of more cloud centric, uh, technology centric approach to things, um, but doesn't have a lot of internal security resources, again, we tend to be a pretty good fit.
0: Awesome. Well, that's very cool. I appreciate the clarity on that. Anything in the next three to six months that you kind of want to push right now? It could be seed rounds, bigger client acquisitions, that kind of thing?
1: I mean, the big thing is the package services that you just mentioned. Um, and that's a like, we've literally just released those and updated those in the last week. And so previously we'd been offering our security program as a service for clients. And we really did a lot of work to streamline again to those different stages, you know, startup growth scale uh, to make the compliance angle much more easy to acquire and blend it into the service package. And, 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 Broaden the services so that they covered a lot more of our customer needs. And so um, we're really excited about those offerings. And we think um, they are reflective of, you know, three years of experience and a whole bunch of clients uh, and, you know, continuous improvement of our offerings.
0: I want to jump a little bit uh, more into the, the web security for businesses topic, if you don't mind here. One of the themes that that's come up over a lot of these interviews from industries around is, there's been kind of a a rapid digitization for businesses since COVID hit. And that's, you know, any kind of new software, jamming e-commerce onto the back end of a site, all these things which can open up significant potential problems there. Um, And I'm just wondering if if there's some threats that, or some themes or areas of concern that have kind of popped up as this, these changes have happened.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things that we see that are pretty prolific. So one is, uh, organizations that are building their own stuff, actually testing it and making sure that it's secure, right? So this is, you know, it could be a software firm or it could be an in-house operation inside a larger organization. They've got a DevOps shop. They're adopting the cloud, especially if if they're they've traditionally done development and they're moving to the cloud. Then there's a lot of new security paradigms that they're not quite as familiar with, right? So we see a lot of mistakes being made on that shift. And so, um, doing proper penetration testing and web application security testing of your app is going to be one of the most important things that you do. And we see a lot of organizations um, that maybe have had more traditional infrastructure that make that cloud shift. And then it's like, we don't know that our team, they, they knew firewalls, they knew network security, but we're not sure that they really know cloud security. And there's a lot of really common mistakes, identity and access management and containerization and stuff like that, where people make errors and then it results in, you know, exploding a lot of their data. Um, and then you also see situations where just the web app itself isn't built very well. We did a, a pen test for an e-commerce retailer that was uh, updating their app and hopes to prior to Black Friday and the developer they subcontracted to had not done just the basics, right? And like, you could go in as an attacker and change the price of something in your shopping cart. And so, you know, uh, those sorts of mistakes, unfortunately are still being made. Uh, Not every subcontracted developer is of similar quality. And so actually going through and doing that assessment and even writing into your contract when you're doing subcontracted work, uh, security assessments, review processes and uh, finalization uh, can help reduce the risk of cost to organizations. So that's kind of your web app. That's pretty pretty straightforward. And then the other thing is actually your your use of cloud applications, right? So think of this as the SaaS platforms that you consume, right? So it could be O365, it could be, you know, Salesforce, it could be any of a number of different applications. And uh, we've done a number of assessments for clients, which is you've got 47 different SaaS applications. Let's look at the eight or 10 critical ones and see if you're actually following security best practices. Do you have audits turned on? Are you using multi-factor authentication? You know, are you doing the sorts of things that even though you're using a third-party app and they're responsible for the security of that platform, are you using the platform's capabilities to the best of its usage so that you're reducing the risk uh, in that usage.
0: No, that's great. It's, it is interesting to hear that. I know uh, of someone recently who went through a ransomware uh, attack and it was pretty pretty wild. And so just cool to see kind of your approach to that. What can, I guess, businesses do in terms of protecting themselves? Is it something like where they can build policies and use your services or do they need to be talking directly to their vendors, like a HubSpot or a Salesforce to say, is there anything we need to know about anything that's opened up as you plug into our, you know, our accounting system as an example?
1: Yeah. So that's a very broad question. Like what can you do to improve your security? And a couple things to note is there's, there's an infinite pile of work in security like any other area, right? And so you can spend a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of resources and not actually end up more secure because some vendor came along and sold you the latest artificial intelligence was bang gadget and it didn't do anything for you, right? And so what we try to do is we try to take a look at the organization holistically, right? So from an overall security practices perspective, this is, Everything from awareness training to logging and monitoring to policies and practices, you know, how does that look? Is that robust? Or do you have, like, some areas where you've invested a ton of time and energy and money and other areas that are completely neglected, right? And so you see this very common. It's like, I've bought the latest, you know, next-gen firewall. It cost me $50,000, and I've never done awareness training for my staff, right, which would have cost them $500, bucks, right? So those sorts of, you know, just wacky doodle uh, kind of mistakes. And then we take a look at all that and we combine that with a risk register. And a risk register is really a way to look at all the different threats that could impact an organization and to prioritize those based on probability and impact, right? So you mentioned ransomware earlier. Ransomware is in the news. It's a a prolific thing. Ransomware for some organizations is a non-issue. They're distributed teams, all their data is in the cloud. If a couple of workstations get locked out it's not the end of the world, right? Ransomware for a lot of traditional businesses, huge issue, right? Like takes down the network, nobody can do their job anymore. The printing presses don't run or whatever it is, and your business is effectively shut down, right? So not every organization needs to deal with ransomware with the same degree of priority because for an organization where it's a small risk, you just kind of, you prioritize it appropriately and maybe you need to focus your uh, energy on data security or on something else. Uh, One of the the risks that I like to talk about a lot that's prolific that doesn't get as much press coverage is business email fraud, business uh, email compromise. And so what this fundamentally is, is it's compromise of executive and other people's email accounts to initiate a a false funds transfer to the wrong destination, right? So you might be communicating with the supplier. There's lots of communications back and forth. They're ready for payment. They send you new payment information. And then you've sent $150,000 to the wrong account. This is prolific. It is happening all the time. Organizations are being heavily targeted, small, medium, large. We don't see it in the news, right? It's just something that kind of happens below the radar, is it a high probability event? Absolutely, it's happening all the time. Is it a high impact? Well, think about losing your largest financial transfer in a year. What's, that, what's the impact of that to your business, right? And so, you know, different organizations have different risks and we try to anchor your security program and investment based on those risks, based on those impacts so that we can reduce, you know, bad stuff's going to happen, reduce the impact to your business when bad things do occur.
0: So let's say worst case there's a, a threat happens, or someone suspects a threat. You kind of build out those those standard operating procedures, or anything that if a, if a listener is like, "Hey, I assist, I may have been part of this email fraud. What can I do?"
1: Yeah, so we have a couple of things that we help customers with. One of them is uh, called incident response plans, which is basically, you know, your playbook for when something bad happens. Who do you call? What? How do you get help? How do you make sure that it happens quickly? Because your ability to respond to an incident quickly and effectively m- means the difference between an incident being, you know, a minor event for your organization or something that's catastrophic. We also do tabletop exercises. So we live role play those incidents so that your executive team can be familiar with how to deal with an incident when it occurs and they have more confidence and more capability to deal with something when it happens in real time. Because on average, if you look at small businesses, they're going to experience a significant cybersecurity incident at least once in every five years, right? So it's not one of those kind of black swan events. It happens all the time. So those are two things. And then the third thing is we actually have forensics and instant response capabilities. And so if you haven't proactively got our help and, and reduced your risk and you have an event, you can call us up and our team can come in, help you contain the event, remediate, and get back up and operational. So those are a few services that we provide specifically to help organizations. And if you think about it, you know, Think about the real world scenarios that we're dealing with today, right? Um, You know, catastrophic flooding in the province of British Columbia and and, uh, the government's ability to effectively communicate and respond to and and set expectations. Like that's your incident response plan um, in a nutshell. And the tabletop exercise means that everybody knows what their role is and what they're going to do when something actually happens. And so, um, yeah, preparedness is key for a lot of this stuff. I want to ask you
0: a little bit about your professional background. Can you kind of give me a brief overview of how you ended up founding Cobalt?
1: Yeah, I have a a bit of a, what I call an ass backwards startup story. Um, a lot of founders are, you know, they might start a little bit younger and they're really passionate about an idea and they they start something, they bootstrap it, they go and seek money. Um, so I had a more traditional career prior to starting up Cobalt. I had uh, a lifestyle business that I'd kind of accidentally started uh, prior to Cobalt. But prior to that, it was mostly, I'd worked inside of Tellus, I'd run security teams there. I'd worked inside of Sophos, I'd run security teams uh, there as well. But kind of the the two or three years preceding uh, starting out Cobalt, I was semi-retired doing a little bit of consulting with this lifestyle business. And I spent two months on a summer with my family in a beach in Thailand uh, in the summer prior to starting out Cobalt. And I came back and I was itchy to do a little bit of work. And I went to my friend and colleague, Steve Munford, who's the CEO of TruLiu. And he's like, get a job. And I'm like, I don't want a job, right? And so a few weeks later, he introduces me to my two co-founders, Boris and Pankaj Agarwal. And they wanted to get into the security services business, but they didn't have the domain area. They had lots of connections, relationships, and the ability to provide some funding. And I learned about them as um, entrepreneurs and, and supporters of entrepreneurs and realized that it would be stupid for me not to take this opportunity. And I've always had a passion for solving the small business problem in security. Enterprise, it's kind of a solved thing and almost all the energy in the security business focuses on enterprise for dollar reasons. And so I saw an opportunity and uh, yeah, we started three years ago this month and have had a wild ride and they've been incredibly supportive and it's been a great experience.
0: You mentioned the lifestyle business and I'm, I'm wondering if you like, is there something that has stuck out to you about becoming an entrepreneur? Like, did you, have, did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Did you just kind of have enough of a quote unquote corporate world or how did that, how did you end up?
1: I mean, I've always been a bit of an entrepreneur, even in the environments that I've worked at corporately. So I'd be the person who'd start up a new department or, you know, solve new problems in an organization. So I've always had a bit of that spirit, but The thing that I would say is, you know, it it ultimately comes down to I'm a mission-led person, right? And so I started my early career connecting businesses to the internet, people to the internet. I saw the power and the the opportunity behind the internet, and that was really exciting to me. And then all the bad actors arrived, and they started spamming people and sending out malware and all this kind of stuff. And so that became kind of the clarion call for me of, you know, the internet is this incredibly powerful, enabling technology But if we don't solve the security problem, it's just going to be a hot mess, right? A dumpster fire. And so um, that really has guided a lot of my career and this opportunity to really address the security problems for small businesses that are the core of innovation in Canada and a lot of the rest of the world, right? Like small businesses come up with so many innovations and ideas and technologies and helping them address security so they can be successful and empowered and enabled has been um, really a, a compelling mission for me
0: from a business perspective with Cobalt. How have you approached scaling from that kernel idea with your founders? Um, you know, was there kind of revenue that came in right away? Did you have to grind hard on a certain aspect of the business before you kind of got to, to where you're at now?
1: Yeah, um, definitely a lot of grinding, um, you know, just full stop. And the first year I remember it, we we were doing a lot more development the first year and we, brought our our first service to market like five or six months after kind of just spending money and, and heads down building stuff. And it took us about another month or so before we landed our first client. And at the end of the first year, lots of hard work. We got to kind of 15 clients and it was like, oh my God, that was hard. But now we have 15 clients because, you know, the first client takes a risk and the second client takes a risk and the fifth client takes a risk. And then Now, when I talk to a health tech company, I've got 30 or 40 other health tech companies that we've done work with. And it's like, oh, you know what you're doing. This is good. You've been around for a while. This is good. You know, you've figured out how your services solve my problems. This is good, right? But it takes a a lot of work and a lot of effort to get there. One of the things that I'm very fortunate with as a founder is because I have all that kind of corporate and other experience beforehand, I've done operations, sales, delivery, marketing, all these sorts of different things. And so... In the early stages of the company, I could be the dishwasher, bottle washer, sales delivery, all that kind of stuff. And so that helped me a lot in those early days. And then obviously, you know, kind of as you scale, the thing is you want to eliminate yourself as a bottleneck in as many areas as possible, right? So it's like, oh, you know, how can I get the delivery function able to work without me? And, you know, now I'm still running sales, but how can I eventually grow that to a point where it's standing on its own and competent? And so a lot of it is kind of figuring out, you know, what's the right. Bottleneck to solve next, and how what's your long-term vision for how you build out the functions and the teams and, and the, the individuals? And, you know, we've been really blessed with the people that we've brought on and how they've embraced our mission and are really helping us drive success. And so I'm I'm excited for where we are and I'm excited for where we're going.
0: One of the, the questions I like to ask a lot of times, and this, this can you can think about Cobalt or your career in general as you look back at where you started out in leadership to where you're at now, is there anything that sticks out that's evolved uh, significantly for you, maybe in the way you manage people and the way that you, you focus on growth or approach, ask people for funding, that kind of a thing.
1: You know, I've, I've always been kind of focused with hiring on attitude and aptitude over experience specifically. And, you know, that's, that's led me in, in Cobalt. We have, you know, we certainly have, you know, people with gray hair like myself who have a lot of experience, but we also have a lot of young people on the team who um, have taken on roles and really grown and, and developed. Early in my career, I didn't put as much emphasis, if I think back to the first team that I ever led, on diversity. You know, the first team looked a lot like me, like mid-20s, white, geeky. And uh, today, my team is way more diverse, and I really place a lot of emphasis and value on that. And, you know, overcoming my own subconscious biases and stuff like that as part of that journey. And that's an area specifically in security has historically been a problem like, you know, gender diversity in security has typically been, you know, 15 to 20% female employment and we're, you know, closer to 40, 50% of cobalt and stuff like that. So those are some things that have changed. But ultimately, you know, my core personality has been, I believe in people and I tend to be, I tend to give as much leeway as I can and, and and empower them with mission and vision and and give them a lot of autonomy. And that's continued to serve me well through my career. Awesome.
0: Well, I'd love to hear that. Final question before we jump into the final four, you have a key highlight from your career prior to being at Cobalt.
1: Yeah. I, you know, Steve, as I mentioned before has been a huge mentor and supporter for me. I worked for him uh, in the early days of Active State, which is another tech company locally here that you'll know. And I had this opportunity that he brought me early in my career where we had just been acquired by Sophos, a UK-based firm, and he wanted me to move to the UK to help with some of the product sales and stuff like that. And... It's like, hey, would you move to the UK to be a sales engineer? And I'm like, no, I've done that. How about lead the UK sales engineering team? No, I'm leading the local one. What I really want to do is build the sales engineering team globally for this business that doesn't really have one of those. You know, Steve always says that no is the beginning of a negotiation. And so, you know, that kind of back and forth really enabled us to, uh, you know, envision something bigger in terms of role and opportunity. And so that created a role for me as global head of sales engineering under that organization to eventually lead a team of 120 people in 17 countries around the world, you know, travel all over the world, uh, work with global 50 companies of all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And it was an incredible learning experience and development experience for me in my late twenties. And I got a lot out of that and it's given me a a great foundation for a lot of my future success. Wow. That is
0: very, very cool to hear. Jumping now to the last four questions get you out of here. We ask these questions to each interviewee. So do you have a favorite book or podcast uh, series that you're kind of currently listening to?
1: Yeah. So two books that I'll highlight. um, And I like books because they can give you new mental models and mental models are incredibly powerful. Um, So books that you experience when you're young in life are really impactful in many cases. So uh, the wealthy barber for me uh, set me on a financial footing and just Thinking about long-term value and investing and money in return uh, was really a a great book. And of course, uh, the classic uh, seven habits uh, book is uh, one that, you know, even to this day, um, the principles really are are things that I embed um, in terms of how I think and operate. Um, So those are two that I I would really highlight. Awesome. Best personal advice that you've uh, received. Uh, You know, Steve, uh, again, uh, focus. Just, you know, and I mean, just like the importance of focus in decision making and business and, you know, on a lot of different things. If I look at Cobalt, our initial choice to focus very narrowly on uh, tech startups, uh, B2B SaaS specifically, you know, has surfaced incredibly well because there's tons of different businesses that we could go after. It's very easy to get chase caught, uh, caught chasing your tail in security, um, but being focused has enabled us to really scale and grow.
0: Okay, phenomenal. And then favorite restaurant in BC.
1: I'm not like a fancy restaurant here. I've got three kids. We live out in the burbs. And so we don't get a chance to get into the the swanky downtown Vancouver restaurants very often. I'm a family guy. And so uh, my wife being Chinese, one of the places we like to go um, is dim sum. And probably one of my favorite dim sum places is Sun Tzuwa. Um And so uh, I'm a big dim sum fan. It's like that family social gathering thing that I just, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying having the ability to get back to that. Thanks for stopping by From
0: the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.